0: Today's reading is from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 5, verse 11. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Please keep your Bibles open. Father God, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are speaking, God. You do not leave us in the dark about what you are like. Thank you that you give us your spirit so that we may understand your word. And we pray that you would soften our hearts rather than harden them as we hear you speak to us today. And we pray that for the children, pray that they'd be free from distractions, Satan wouldn't snatch away the seed, they'd hear something from you, and know you as their Lord and Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good afternoon everyone. I'm Janelle.
1: I'm a member of Christ Church Mayfair which is another co-mission church and it's a privilege to be here um, bringing you God's word and yeah it'll be great to chat to you guys after the service. I'll say a quick prayer and then we'll get diving in. Father God thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God who rules this church. I pray Lord as we hear your word our hearts will be open to receive your word. I pray that your spirit will be working in us to transform us to love your people as we should as you've loved us. I in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of months ago, I watched a documentary titled Madoff, the Wall Street Monster. Now, I can't say it's the most thrilling show, and I won't necessarily urge you to watch it, but allow me to share the narrative with you. The story revolves around Bernie Madoff, a character infamous for orchestrating one of the largest Ponzi schemes in Wall Street history. This so-called investment advisor was nothing more than a lie. In simple terms, he took people's hard-earned money with a promise to invest it. Only he never did. He guaranteed people extraordinary returns, but just redistributed the money to others. Numerous people lost everything. A staggering $64 billion of profits vanished. Why? What was the driving force behind this action of Bernie Madoff? Well, his actions were driven by two things. Greed and a desperate need for validation, which gave birth to extreme deceit. And today, our society places self at its core. We value individuality over community. Our culture promotes self-fulfillment, self-worth, self-love, self-expression. The pursuit of wealth and recognition is on the rise. And it can be challenging to remain faithful when we see others racing ahead. You may see your friends buying new houses, driving luxurious cars, achieving financial stability, causing feelings of insecurity and fear. And for all of us today, we might ask ourselves, do I possess things or do things possess me? And for the Christian, this question is more challenging what Jesus has done for us. This passage paints a vivid picture of genuine faith and how it interacts with worldly possessions. It tells us that Christians, empowered by the Spirit, demonstrate their faith by clinging to the kingdom of God whilst holding loosely to the kingdom of this world. You see, if I could summarize this passage in one sentence, it would be, trust in God's rule over his church by using your possessions to love his people. Trust in God's rule over his church to use your possessions to love his people. As Rob said, we're in early chapters of the book of Acts, and it details the growth of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. The headline of Acts is, Jesus' kingdom will grow. And it will grow despite opposition. And in this passage, you'll see it'll grow despite corruption. Let's dive into it. We've got two points for today. Point number one. The church we united and demonstrated radical generosity. That's what we're going to be spending most of our time. And point number two but by contrast Ananias and Sapphira rejected unity and sacrificed the truth. Okay, let's go with the first point. The church we united and demonstrated radical generosity. Look down at me in your Bibles from verse thirty two. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. This is very similar to what Luke has said in Acts. If you actually flick back a page to Acts chapter 22, verse 44 to 45, it states that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And we get a very similar observation here in chapter 4. You see, the repetition by Luke of the character of the believers stresses a radical difference in their attitude towards money. Here are a group of believers who, when God forms his church, they grow tightly together and they sit lightly to possessions. I think verse thirty two is meant to be the headline of the section, and then the rest of the verses expand on how this occurred. It is a wonderful picture; all the believers won one heart and one soul. it symbolizes extraordinary unity, and it appears they developed this through a series of actions and events we didn 't read it today, but in verse thirty one of chapter four, it states that they prayed, and god's spirit dwells within them and in verse thirty three Builds on this. They possess great power to preach about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the grace of God was at work in them, which empowered them to have this radical generosity. This unity in one heart and one soul stems from being tightly knitted under the teaching of the apostles. They believe the same truths, and therefore they're able to graciously give their money to those in need. Unity flows from the shared belief in what the apostles are teaching particularly that Jesus has risen and will take his people to be with him. You see, you don't get unity unless there's a commonality of belief or purpose. A couple of years ago, Manchester United recorded their worst Premier League season from a points tally perspective. Now, the team wasn't really filled with world-class players, but they all belonged to Manchester United. They all wore the same shirt. They were all paid by the same employer. However, I observed that there was not much unity amongst those group of players. You couldn't say that was a team of one heart and one mind. You see, you had high-profile players criticising others in public, other players spreading rumours about what team they'll play for even before the season had ended. There was no shared belief or common goal, which resulted in no unity whatsoever. By contrast, what you have here and what you see today illustrates that you can have unity from anywhere with any Christian if you have a shared belief in the scriptures. In February earlier this year, I attended a men's weekend away with some of the church members at Christchurch Church Mayfair. And it was an amazing, enjoyable experience. The talks were good, the food was enjoyable, and the sessions were engaging. However, I think the most striking thing was the unity I developed with a group of people, the majority of whom I did not know well, or I vaguely knew. Some now are very close friends of mine. Others i formed a prayer triplet with, meeting three, every three weeks to pray on a Tuesday. And this sense of unity all stemmed from the shared belief in Jesus. You see, you can have w- unity in one heart and one mind with someone you vaguely know or never met before because of this truth. Then we see the result of this unity, radical generosity. Look down at me in, from verse 33 to 35. And with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to any that had need. You see here is God's spirit. As they sit under the teaching of the apostles. They grow tightly as a church. And they sit lightly to their possessions. Now, the nature of the giving here is quite different. It is not talking about regular giving to church gospel ministry. It is voluntary and occasional. As verse 34 states, for as many were owners of houses or lands or houses sold them. So Luke is giving us the inclination that some in the church, well clearly wealthy individuals, able to give extra to those who are in need. And they do this so that there is no needy person. And I guess there's practical wisdom in this. It ensures that the poorer individuals aren't directly tied to the wealthier ones. However, there's actually more to this as we see in verse 35, the imagery Luke paints, where we're told that they placed the money at the apostles' feet. It's a bit strange. Why at their feet and not into their hands? You see, placing the money at the apostles' feet is not just an act of charity. It's demonstrating that all I have is the Lord's and I'm giving it to his trusted representatives to steward rightly. Generally, some churches today have a deacons fund where from time to time, individuals put money into it and their deacons in the church who administer it and help people get back on track financially. And we see that these believers had a spontaneous concern for people in need. You see, genuine believers care for one another. Here are Christians who are sitting under the teaching of the apostles and are being taught more about the life death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and realises it changes everything. The spirit is at work giving great power through his word radically changing their attitudes, their affections and subsequently their actions to money. You see these believers want to grow tightly with other believers and sit lightly to possessions. Then we get an example of someone who demonstrates this radical generosity. Barnabas. Look down at me from verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, Barnabas gives us a clear picture of who rules his heart. We're told that in verse 37 that he sold a field he earned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, this was just no mere act of kindness for humanity's sake. It was a deliberate sacrifice for the kingdom of God. You see, he reads in verse 37, he gave all the proceeds. So that the needs of the church could be met. Okay, great. He did that. So did all the other wealthy believers. So why is Barnabas singled out here? Why is he so special? We get a bit more insight into Barnabas in the preceding chapters of Acts, where we're told that he ultimately dedicated his life to mission. mission. You see, Barnabas was the first person to acknowledge Paul as a genuine disciple. And he actually supported Paul's ministry financially. Barnabas spent most of his time as a missionary with Paul, preaching and encouraging the new Gentile converts in Antioch. We read that Barnabas' real name was Joseph. But because he was such an encouragement, he was nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. You see, I'm convinced by looking at his life that Jesus was his treasure. He lived to store up treasures in heaven, even at a personal sacrifice to himself on earth. And Jesus did the same thing. In fact, Jesus did more than him. One of my favorite verses is from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, um, which states, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, God the Son gave up all his power, position and privilege so that he could come down a cross, so that those who put their trust in him could be forgiven and welcomed into the family of God. You see, Jesus is the true and better Barnabas, who not only encourages us and supports us, but also sacrificially lay down his life to reconcile us to God, offering us the ultimate example of love, forgiveness, and selflessness. You see, just as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, came alongside others to build them up, Jesus, the son of God, came to restore broken humanity, to heal our wounds, and to lift us up from the depths of sin into the heights of divine grace. Where Barnabas brought unity, Jesus brings reconciliation between humanity and God. Late theologian and preacher Tim Keller states, Jesus is the ultimate gift, the ultimate treasure. Every other treasure you have to purchase, Jesus is the only treasure that purchased you. What slash who does your heart treasure? You see, if you say, my heart treasures Jesus, does your money spending reflect it? The church reunited and demonstrated radical generosity. That's point one. Now we go to the contrast. But by contrast, Ananias and Sapphira rejected unity and sacrificed the truth. Read for me from chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not, did not remain at your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. What was their crime? What did they do wrong? You see, Peter has actually explained it very clear. After Ananias and Sapphira have their land, they sell it. They're obliged to sell the land. And when they've sold the land, they're not obliged to give the money away. It's theirs. So you see, having money is not the issue here. The issue here is that they've lied. Read me in verse 3. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? to the Holy Spirit and then verse four after it was sold was in all your disposal why is it you contrived this deed in your heart you're not lied to man but to God you see Satan put into Ananias's heart the desire to lie to the Holy Spirit he filled Ananias's heart with the lure of money and Ananias took the bait You know, we're not told what happened before this, but I suspect that Ananias and Sapphira, once they placed the money at the apostles' feet, went to tell the public that they'd given all the proceeds. But they haven't. They've lied. And of course, there's sins that led to them lying. There was a coveting of money. They made the sale, they looked at the cash, and then they thought, hmm, let's not give it all. And then there was also the coveting of approval in the eyes of men. You see, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look more generous than they actually were. They wanted the apostles to look at them and think they were as good as Barnabas. And also, I don't know if you picked up on it, but in verse 2, Luke gives us another detail that is quite interesting. He states that, With his wife's knowledge, he kept back from himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, it is with his wife's full knowledge the conspiracy of both Ananias' Vi raises a question. And for me, and for you, it might give us very strong echoes of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve together in the first sin conspire, and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to gain knowledge for themselves. You see, here is the original sin of the church, coveting of money, Misuse of possessions And a need of approval And I think, side note we, are, we might be naive if we do not think Money and possessions have a pull on us No matter if we're Christians and we're not And even if we are Christians, how long have been Christians? Money and possessions They have the potential to have a pull on us Okay Their crime is their deceit They lie Secondly, you might ask the question Why were they, so de- why were they dealt with so severely? Let's read the rest of the passage from verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church. Why death? I mean... Particularly so quickly for Ananias. He doesn't even get a chance to repent. But I think the key here is in verse 9. When Peter responds to Sapphira after she's lied. How is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And I think the punchline here is, God will not be mocked. You see, at the early stages of growing his church, God demonstrates that he rules This is his church, and you cannot do so as you please. You see, if deceit had operated in the church, and nothing had happened, then the believers stopped being one heart and one soul, and the unity we've just seen is is destroyed. If Ananias and Sapphira had gotten away with it, and it became known, then the church becomes discredited, and loses its focus and purity. And the church is labelled as hypocrites and a typical Nava movement in society. The second thing that's quite interesting is why the fear we see in verses 5 and 11 demonstrated twice. And I think the Lord wanted people to realise how you live matters and he rules his church. The repetition really enforces the point. You see, discrediting God trying to deceive God, it will not be tolerated. I guess a a normal question out of this would, would be, would what happened to Ananias and Sapphira happen today? No. This was a unique event at that time, and it will not happen. Christians are saved by grace in the Lord Jesus. But how we live that out as Christians, it does matter you see God sent out a loud and clear message then to the church and he does today do not live in deceit do not mock God the church reunited and demonstrated radical generosity but by contrast Ananias and Sapphira rejected unity and sacrificed the truth Okay, what do we do with this passage how can we apply it to our lives today I guess for those of you who are not yet trusting the Lord Jesus or ex- are still exploring the Christian faith, I think the application here is you need to be born of the Spirit. You see, as we have encountered in this passage and what we see in the world today, all other options, especially human religion, ultimately leads to destruction slash judgment in the end. And it is through the Spirit that these believers were able to have one heart and one soul. And subsequently strove to be generous and compassionate, the desire to love one another it stems from being born of the spirit. For those of you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, here are three applicational points. point one take god 's rule of his church seriously. You see when you commit to joining a church, you are joining the people of Jesus Christ you are joining god 's church. it is a supernatural movement. And how we live matters. Do not mock God. Take seriously God's rule of his church. Point two. Have a clear view of salvation. You see, if you spend time with the risen Jesus, in his word, through prayer, you dwell upon his death and resurrection and the hope of eternity, that will bond you together with brothers and sisters. And you will sit lightly with possessions. If you don't spend time with the risen Jesus, if you don't dwell upon your home in heaven, then you'll fixate upon this world. I think we all need to pray and strive to make Jesus' sacrifice read on our hearts now as we offer up ourselves to him. You see, Jesus is the one who will loosen our grip on possessions because he has the power to radically transform our hearts through his spirit. And finally, Aim to grow tightly to one another and sit lightly to possessions. You see, a community which is united in one heart and one mind in serving the Lord Jesus grows together. You grow, it bonds you, and you care less about possessions. These apostles demonstrated it here. They receive great power and great grace. That should be our prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're God who rules this church. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated your sovereignty over your church in growing your word, in spreading your word through the ends of the earth, and you still do today. Father, I pray that you will help us to be be driven by the Holy Spirit, to love one another, and to demonstrate that love through our possessions. Help, Help us, Lord, to understand that this doesn't happen in theory, but in practice but only through your spirit. I also saw in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.